Thank you for being here, joining us as we hit week two of this series that we're in uh, that deals with the very first chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, We're calling it Joy Thieves because if we look at the letter of Philippians that Paul wrote, the whole theme of the letter is joy, which is really amazing because he wrote it from jail, okay? Isn't it amazing that he's writing from jail and what he's talking about is joy? I mean, most of us, if you think about it, we can't really get a grip on happiness and joy if we've got a good spouse, a good car, a good job, a good house, if we've got closets full of clothes and cabinets full of food and, you know, uh, 4K TVs with full of ultra HD channels, right? But yet Paul, here's the guy who who is in jail. He has no wife, no kids, no grandkids as far as we know. He's got no iPhone. He's got no TV. Uh, he is eating jail food, prison food, with his head on a swivel to keep from getting shanked, and he's writing about joy. Think about that, right? I mean, obviously joy isn't in junk. It's in Jesus. And so what we learn about that is the, this letter to the Philippians, as is all Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture and and Philippians here, it is just as relevant to the 21st century Middle Tennessean and American as it was to the very first century Philippians, okay? It it is just as, as relevant because they, as we, are on this constant quest for joy and for happiness. And you know, we can, we seem to catch it sometimes. I mean, every now and then we can get our we, we, we think we got a hold of it, but it's like grabbing the soap in your shower. It just sort of slips out of your hand, right? Why? Because life is full of all these little joy thieves that you really uh, don't even know they're there. They're like termites. You don't know they're there, and they're just eating away at your foundation. And if you don't catch them before it's too late, it crumbles, right? And so last week, we, we learned about uh, how that comparison is a joy thief. If you compare yourself to anyone... If you compare, if you're envious, if you're jealous, all those things, they're just going to suck the joy right out of you. They're going to steal your joy. If you are not totally surrendered to God's will, and what I mean by that is, listen, we're, some of you are believers, and man, you want God's will, you want the things God wants, but you also really want the things you want, and sometimes they don't align. And here's the deal. If you're, the more in alignment you are with God's will and God's agenda uh, that's clearly uh, outlined in His Word, His revealed will in His Word, the more aligned your life is with that, the more joy you're going to have, and the, the more out of align it is, the less joy you're going to have, right? We also looked at, if your identity is in anything but Jesus Man, you're, you're, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to be a joyful person. I mean, if your identity is in anything but Jesus, that is going to rob the joy from your soul. Okay? Today, here's what we're going to look at. I believe that as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, Paul uh, clearly uh, lets us see today something that's so relevant for us, and that is that uh, loneliness and isolation are joy thieves. Loneliness and isolation are joy thieves. And that is so relevant because we live in a lonely, lonely world, to be quite honest. Uh, we live in a lonely world. Jer- uh, Jeremy Lineman, who uh, is a pastor, he wrote an, uh, a blog post for the Gospel Coalition recently, and basically his post was about how the church can respond to the lonely e- uh, epidemic, the lonely epidemic. And he, he, in this article, in this blog post, he basically listed some headlines, and I just listed a few of them for you. But here are some headlines that are in major publications, right? For instance, the Surgeon General says there's a loneliness epidemic. That's from the Washington Post a loneliness epidemic from the Surgeon General. Young people report more loneliness than the elderly. That's from the USA Today. 
Now that, I know, boggles your mind a little bit because, you know, you're thinking, man, elderly people, maybe widows, widowers, I mean, man, they're sitting at home, maybe, you know, and maybe their family lives far away, but young people, man, college students, I mean, uh, millennials, man, they're out here living life up. They got all these friends. Man, according to studies, the USA Today reported that young people are more lonely than elderly. I also read a supporting article uh, this past week that said that 20% of all millennials report to having zero friends. Do you believe that? Isn't that crazy in our world that you wouldn't think uh, that that would be the case? 20% report having zero friends. Here's another one from the Boston Globe. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking, it isn't obesity, it's loneliness. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men is loneliness, over-smoking, over-obesity. The New York uh, Times, uh, one of the headlines, how social isolation is killing us, and then Slate says that social isolation is killing more people than obesity. Man, obviously, we live in a lonely world. There's a lonely epidemic going on in our world, and what's crazy is we're more connected than ever, right? Think about it. You all probably have hundreds or thousands of friends on Facebook, probably hundreds or thousands of followers on Instagram, okay? Social media. Man, you know what your buddies had for dinner last night. You know what they think about Stranger Things, right? I mean, you know you're connected, but even though we're more connected than ever, we're lonelier than ever. Why? Because we spend more time cyber-stalking friends than we do talking to friends. As a result, our friends are several, but they're superficial. Our relationships are several, but they're superficial in a very connected world, right? And so, so uh, the, it's so bad, that, and this loneliness thing, it's, it's just so bad that another headline, the, the Surgeon General has said this, that loneliness has a greater effect on your mortality than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now think about that. There's 20 cigarettes in a pack. Smoking three-fourths of a pack of cigarettes a day is better for your mortality than loneliness. Man, this is a a deep-rooted problem, and and it is causing major damage, not just socially and emotionally, but also physically into the lives and souls of people in our world, including the people of this church and this community, right? And and, and so uh, we need to understand what's going on, and we need to understand what the answer is, okay? Now, as, as we look at, at, at Scripture, here's what the Scripture says. Many people have hypothesized that, you know, God created humanity because he was lonely. Well, I mean, that sounds good, but the only thing that gets in the way of that is the Bible. I mean, it's funny how the truth gets in the way of a good story, isn't it? And the Bible is clear that God did not create humanity because he was lonely. The Bible says that in his essence, in his nature, there's relationship and there's community. There's this triunity. In his essence is trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, not three gods. We're monotheists, not polytheists, but there's one God in three persons. I know it's mind-boggling. It's mystery. Matter of fact, if you can fully explain it, I'll yield the stage, okay? The, 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 the point is that there's this triunity in the essence of God, and so his nature is relationship. His nature is community and love within the nature of God. And you know what Moses tells us? That God created us within his image. He created us within his image. Moses also says that God created and said it was good. It was good. It was good. But he comes to one thing that's not good. And that one thing is what? It's not good that man's alone. Now that verse 
speaking of Adam and Eve and specifically of marriage, but it reveals something to us about how we were created. And, 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 and what I want you to understand is we, we, God didn't get down to that point and realize, uh-oh, I made a mistake. God doesn't flub it up. God doesn't make a mistake and want a do-over. It's like, you know, many times I do something like, well, I messed that up. I need a do-over. If I had a do-over, I'd do it like that. That wasn't what God was doing. God didn't make a mistake and realize he had to cor- make a mid-course correction. He did it this way to imprint with upon, within our brain that we are created for relationship, to be interconnected, to live in community with one another. So, so th- this is what we see through the book of Genesis, and, and, and when we come into to the Gospels, we see Jesus himself model community, right? I mean, Jesus, he didn't just bam, appear in, 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 on earth. He came into the earth. He came to the earth into a family. He grew up in the, the community of a, of a nuclear family, right? I mean, he lived in the community of that family when he began his ministry at the age of 30. Man, he was God. He didn't need anybody, surely, right? He didn't need anybody. He was God, but he was, human, he was fully human as well. Another one of those just mind-blowing, uh, uh, you know, mysteries that's awesome about our God. But being fully God and being fully human, he didn't do life ministry by himself. He pulled 12 dudes beside him, right? And and, and, and he did life with them, man. They were together. They were doing life, and they were doing ministry together. And so we have this beautiful scriptural, uh, uh, you know, theology of community that, that says, man, we're in God's image. The way he created us is to be in relationship, and we see it modeled in Jesus Christ and how he lived, and, and so it's there, and, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. But, but you know, the, the, the point is, and, the, and, and where, why are we lonely then? Even Christians. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Did you know who some of the loneliest people on the planet are as a whole? Pastors. Did you know that? Pastors are some of the loneliest people on the planet. You think, no, man, you know a lot of people. I mean, you're, man, you got a lot of people that you're talking to all the time. And, 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 and I do. I have a lot of people, and pastors have lots of people and, and, and that, that we talk to and all that stuff. But there's this crazy dance, you know, between a pastor and a parishioner, the sheep and the shepherd. There's this crazy dance, you know, that goes on that, that creates some walls. And, and, and sometimes it says, man, I know some people's like, I don't want him to sort of know everything about me. You know, and some pastors are like, I don't want them to know everything about me, you know. And there's just this crazy dance that goes on and, and, and everything. There's a crazy dance that goes on between the staff, a pastor and his staff, to be quite honest. Right? I did a lot of study on all these things in my time away. And there's this crazy st- dance that goes on with pastor and staff because, man, I'm close to my staff. Most pastors are close, I hope, to their staff. But, but sometimes it, it, there's this dance that goes on because here's what happens. You know, a, a, a pastor, his staff's his friends. And so if he comes in and he says, okay, man, guys, I need you to pray for me. You're my friends struggling with depression, or I've got a physical illness, or whatever, as a friend, they want to surround and pray, but then maybe you can go home, and on the other hand, it's like, oh, wow, he's my leader. Is he going to be able to lead? I mean, it's just like this, I mean, how do you do this dance, right? And it's that way with staff wives, the pastor's wife, and, and so, so, you know, pastors are some of the loneliest people, to be quite honest, as a whole. Now, but here's what you need to understand. Pastors are broken people who live in a broken world and in desperate need of sanctification, just like you. And sanctification is impossible in isolation, folks. Okay? Sanctification is this really cool-sounding word, and maybe you're new to church, that simply means you're becoming more like Jesus. Okay? 
And, and, and God created us, and he saved us to become more like him, and that's what we call sanctification. And I'm in need of sanctification just like you. You're right? I mean, we, we, we really never arrive, and I'm in need of sanctification, and that's impossible apart from isolation. Pastors are people who created in God's image just like you, and so therefore they need to be in relationship to fulfill what they're creating. So we're all in this together is my point, all right? And so what's the answer? I've tried to build this case for you right now that, man, we live in a lonely world, and here's what some of you are doing. Some of you are like tracking right with me. Oh, yeah, dude, you're singing my song. Man, I'm with you. I'm lonely. I mean, I've got a lot of friends, but, man, I, I'm, there's something in my soul that's just not working. I mean, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I know I've got people I can call, right? But I, I just, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Other of you are like, oh, you talking about other people, but me, bro, I've got a lot of friends. Right? I've got, got people, right? I've got a lot of friends. Well, some of you are not lonely because you've got the right kind of relationships, and I want to talk about that because friends are not going to do it. Okay? I, I want you to understand that friends are not going to do it. Here's what happened. When Adam and Eve fell, the world was broken, and we were born into that broken world. And part of the brokenness of that is, is, is this, it created this hole in our soul for this community. And what we try to do apart from Christ is fill that hole with all kinds of relationships at all kinds of different levels. Okay? But you and I both know that even close friends that we hang with don't do it. And, and I, I mean, if you are graduated, if you've graduated from high school, some of you are still in high school, if you graduated, go back and look at your yearbook. Now, some of you, man, you'd have, when you opened it up, the malls have eaten it all probably. But when you open that yearbook, if you can still read the ink and the, the, the writing in there, you know, you had all these people sign it and they signed it as your BFF. And that was sweet, man. As soon as you graduated, your BFF went MIA, <laughs> right? I mean, your BFF went MIA. And so, so uh, friends change, folks. I don't know if you know this yet. Friends change with, with your address. Friends change with your marital status. You're single. You got friends. You, you got dude friends, and she's got girlfriends. And, man, you get married, and those things change, don't they? Friends change sometimes with your financial status. Friends change with a lot of things. Folks, I, I mean, listen, we all want people to do life and hang out and drink a drink with and, man, uh, I mean, drink a drink with and watch a game with and eat a steak with or a turkey burger, I guess. We, I mean, we, we all, and, and I like those things too, and I want to do those things, but friends don't get it. So here's what I believe Paul's going to teach us, and, and we're going to read it right now. In, first, in, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, Paul's going to teach us that gospel partners are better than friends and followers. It's only in gospel partnership that you're going to find what you're looking for. The answer that the world does not know, the answer to the loneliness epidemic is in gospel partnership. Gospel partners are better than friends and followers. Let me read it for you. One through, I mean, three through 11, chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, I'm appealing to no higher authority but God, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, as, as, as we look at this, Paul, we can see his undying affection for the Philippians. The church at Philippi, Paul started this church. It was the very first church on the European continent. And it was made up of a very diverse group of people, right? I mean, you probably had this girl in here who he cast a demon out of that was using those powers to tell people's fortune, and her manager, her Vegas manager, got mad at him and, you know, and, and, and threw him in jail. And he got Lydia, who is a, a, a wealthy woman. And then you got the Philippian jailer, probably. And so it's, it's a diverse, it's an eclectic group of people. And it's the very first church in, in Europe. And so Paul's got a bond with them. And man, he, he, he has this affection. And now he's in prison and he's writing. And you can just see it, man. I have you in my heart. I mean, I thank God for you. And I mean, you just see the words he uses. And you can tell, man, these are not just friends. These are, not fr- these are more than friends, right? These are gospel partners. And gospel partners are better than friends and followers. Gospel partners are better than friends and followers for, 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 for so many reasons. And I think we can uncover some of that as we read this. And I want to give you a few short reasons. But, uh, and I want you to, as we do that, understand what I mean by a gospel partner. A gospel partner is someone whom the center and foundation of that relationship is Jesus Christ and Jesus, the mission of Jesus. Jesus and his mission. A God, a friends are friends that rally together to hang out, man, and to meet a, a social need for a moment and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But a gospel partner is someone, a relationship in which Jesus and the mission of Jesus is the center and the foundation of that relationship. We see that even in marriage, okay? God forbids a Christian from entering into marriage with a non-Christian, Right? That's a, a God forbids that. He says Christians should not marry non-Christians. Now, as I say that, let me make sure you understand. That's where some of you are right now. And if you are, that's, that's where you stay right now. Okay? And I want you to understand that. That's where you stay. Some of you, since you've gotten married, one, the husband or the wife have become followers of Jesus. The, uh, the husband or the wife that didn't is not yet. That, now that's your mission field. That's your ministry. That's where you stay, okay? Let me make sure you understand that. But God's Word says that if you're a believer, for all of you singles, if you're a believer who loves Jesus Christ, you should not marry someone who's not a believer and that does not love Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's not a gospel partnership. The center and foundation of that relationship is not Jesus Christ and the mission of Jesus. And when the center and foundation of that relationship is not Jesus Christ, watch out. You know what marriage is all about? Here's what marriage really is in Scripture. Marriage was created by God not just to meet my needs and to meet Amy's needs, as it does in marriage, and it's beautiful and how it does that, but that's not simply why God created it to be absorbed within ourselves. God created that relationship to be a relationship that the world would look at, that people would look at, and say, that's the kind of relationship that God has for his people. That's why the greatest thing I could do as a pastor is have a, a, a great marriage, to be quite honest with you. Okay, because that's the kind of of relationship it should reveal. Whoa, there's something different. This is amazing. That 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 kind of relationship. Okay, so so in marriage, here's why it's important that it be gospel partners. Because if not, you're not on the same foundation. You're not coming from the same place. Two people are married. 
One's a believer, one's not a believer. Uh, that's not a gospel partnership. And so what happens here is, man, when, when, when there's not a gospel partner, here's what happens. When we have dust-ups, when things go south, when things get hard, rather than giving you grace, I'm going to give you judgment. Rather than giving uh, you forgiveness, I'm going to get vengeance. Rather than getting over it, I want to get even. Okay? I mean, that, that's what happens when Jesus is not the foundation and the center of that relationship. That's why it's important to heed God's command there for marriage. But listen, this principle follows through because, see, when Jesus is in marriage, listen, I'll promise you this, my marriage is not perfect. Amy's a mean woman sometimes. Okay? And, and so, so my marriage is not perfect, and sometimes we have dust-ups. But you know what? When Jesus is a center and foundation, there's confession. There's repentance, there's reconciliation, there's grace, there's love, all of those things, right, that are a part of a gospel-partnered relationship. The same principle carries over into all of our relationships, right? That's why Paul says, I have in every remembrance of you, it fills my soul with joy, Right? Now, do you think every remembrance that Paul had, every memory he had of the people in the Philippian church was just full of like, it was just always on and always great? And no, man, he'd probably pull some of them out drunk out of ditches with, you know, tattoos that they didn't even know they got. And I mean, he, you know, he had probably had to get involved in marriage quarrels and fights with, I mean, he was, he started this church and, and man, they didn't come out of the gate full. I mean, he, he had, he had probably went toe to toe with them in, in different, uh, uh, arguments and things like that because they, they had done some life together. And, and so everything that he had did, he, he had done with them, every experience wasn't just like, oh, it's awesome. But where it ended was awesome because it was built on a gospel partnership, okay? Now, I think in your memories of people, you can have memories. If you think, go back, and especially, you know, to some of your days BC maybe, or, or, or if you go back and you can have, you, you've got memories with friends that are cool, and oh, I love that time, right? I love that time, and man, I had that experience, and it was a great experience. But overall, unless Jesus is the center, there's also going to be things that sort of overshadow those good experiences in that relationship, things that brought pain, maybe it was neglect, maybe it was betrayal. So Paul's memory of the Philippians was beautiful, not because they were perfect and they always saw eye to eye and never went toe to toe, but because they had, were, it was built on gospel partnership. And gospel partners are better than friends and followers because you're built on the foundation, you're coming from the same place, okay? Now, what we also see you know, of, of Paul here is, listen to this. He said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. I mean, what's he talking about there? Okay. Man, Paul, it brought joy to his soul because he looked at a group of people and he saw them maturing in Christ. He saw them persevering. They weren't perfect, but they were persevering. Okay. They were persevering. I know God's going to bring it to completion. He started it. Man, yeah, you, I, I, I've seen you at your worst. I've seen some of you, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've had to rattle some of you into you know, some sense into your brain, and I've had to say, whoa, 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 what are you thinking? 
come back. You know, I've, I've had to do that in your lives, and I've seen that. But you know, here's what I'm seeing overall, man. I'm seeing you grow to become more like Jesus Christ, and that brings joy to my soul. As he, as he goes on and he talks about them being filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, he's seeing them grow, folks. And, and here's the thing. Here's, here's one of the things, you see, that makes gospel partners better than friends and followers. You see, in a gospel partnership, they're deeper because my objective in gospel partners is not, man, hang out with me because I need somebody to hang out with tonight. I ain't got nobody. I need somebody to hang out with. Or, or man, I, I got to have somebody to do life with. And, you know, it's, just, uh, it's, not, it's deeper than that. See, gospel partners, the objective is that the, the other person becomes like Christ. That's the objective. That's what we live for. That should be my objective in marriage, that Amy becomes more like Jesus Christ. That should be her objective for me. That should be my objective for my kids. And in my relationship with you as your pastor, that should be my objective. And in friendships, that should be your objective. I want you to become more like Jesus Christ. I'm in you. I'm in it with you, when you're, man, when you're not like Jesus, because if you're in real relationship, you're going to see people when they're not like Jesus. I promise. Okay, you're going to see people, man, when they're envious. You're going to see people covet. You're going to see people, man, that's self-absorbed. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to see people, and those are on good days sometimes, right? I mean, you're going to see people at their work. If you're in life, if you're truly in life with people, okay? I've seen you in those things, but here's the, my objective is for you to become like Christ. And so I'm seeing you, and I know that, man, what used to get you angry, man, you know, how you used to respond when you got angry is changing Bravo. Man, I, you used to be passionate. Your, your passion, what you lived for was money. It was for an, an address. It was for, you know, a bank account. And now I'm seeing you use those things for the glory of God and be more concerned about the glory of God. Bravo. Man, it brings me joy to see those things because, you see, that's what a gospel partnership does. Gospel partners are better than friends and followers because our objective revolves around Jesus, not just about me and you. There's deeper calls there, right? And, and then Paul, Paul, he says, you know, uh, Paul says that uh, uh, I constantly pray for you. Listen, gospel partners, when, when, when you're friends, man, uh, that's cool and everything. And man, you can throw up a prayer for a friend every now and then, right? And, and everything. But when you're in a gospel partnership and you're constantly praying for someone, let me tell you what it's hard to do if I'm constantly praying for you. It's hard for me to badmouth you to somebody else. Isn't it? It's hard for me to gossip about you. It's hard for me to talk about you when I'm constantly praying for you. It's hard for me to be bitter at you when I'm constantly praying for you. It's hard for me not to forgive you when I'm constantly praying for you. It's hard for me just to walk away from you when I'm constantly praying for you. And Paul, man, he was in constant prayer for these people. And man, it was this gospel partnership that was amazing. And then, and then man, I'm, I'm hitting the high spots of this, right? Because, I mean, it, it's, it's so rich, and each one of these could be a sermon. But, and finally, what you see is he, he calls it gospel partners. I think that that gospel partnership brings joy because the glue that holds it together is not whether you're scratching my back and I'm scratching yours, whether we're meeting each other's needs. The glue that holds it together is the mission of Jesus Christ. We're bound together for the mission of Jesus Christ. We're bound together for something greater. We're not just bound together for your happiness, because if I'm bound together for your happiness in a gospel partnership, in a friendship, if it's about your happiness, I'm not going to say things to you I need, I need to say sometimes, because that'll hurt our happiness, right? But if my objective is to become like Jesus, and if we're about the mission of Jesus, then I'm going to say to you things that's going to help, that you need to hear in order to help you to become more like Jesus and be on mission with Jesus. And so that's the glue that holds us together. We're fighting the same, for the same things. 
We're on mission, and that bonds you together. Ask any soldier what fighting together uh, shoulder to shoulder on the battlefield. Ask any soldier that's been in battle, and you'll hear the importance, a bond of brotherhood that, that forms when you're fighting the same mission, right? Now, some of you are a fantasy people in movies, right? And I'm not a fantasy person. I'm more, I guess, of an action. You know, I like more action. I watch football and action. That's about it, right? And so, so, but some of your action and fellowship, I mean, I mean, a fantasy, and, I, and I'm saying it because, man, one of those fantasy movies out there that's really great, to be honest, the book, maybe you've read it, Fellowship of the Ring. Have you read, have you read it, Tolkien? Man, it, I mean, pretty sharp dude here, and he writes, and it's not just about, you know, these elves and dwarves and all that. There's a deeper meaning to it, right? But when, you, but when you look at that story, The Fellowship of the Ring, it's a great example of binding, the importance of how, or how binding together in mission brings this unity and this bond that's just indissoluble, and it creates this partnership. I mean, because in the Fellowship of the Ring, the ring is made up of some very diverse group of people, right? Very eclectic people. I mean, you've got these hobbits with, you know, shoeless hairy feet, you know? I mean, you've got some four men. One's a, one's a son of a king. And, I mean, man, you've got a wizard named Gandalf, and you've got a dwarf and an elf. And, I mean, that's an eclectic group of people. I don't care who you are, right? I mean, that just sounds like a good party right there, doesn't it? I mean, you got dwarves and elves and, and, and hobbits, and it sounds like something went bad in some way. The point is, there's an eclectic group of people that have literally nothing in common that shouldn't be friends, right? Because we don't have anything in common except one thing. What was the one thing that they had in common? The one thing that they had in common was that they were on a common mission to defeat the forces of darkness and to save Middle Earth. And because they, 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 they were bound together in this mission, here's what happened. Man, they became literally inseparable and their covenant indissoluble to the point that one of the men died for one of the hobbits, for goodness sake. And, and, and the dwarf and the elf formed such a strong friendship that the dwarf was included in this honored order that was reserved only for elves. This eclectic group of people that literally have nothing in common. You know what that should be a picture of? The church. You show me a church where everybody's got affinity and everybody's got something in common. And I, I would question whether that's a church or not. Because that's not the kingdom of God. A church should be this place where, man, there are people from all cultures. Whatever your community, I mean, unless you live in a community and everybody in your community is 40, right? Everybody in your community is, is, is from the same culture and the same ethnicity. But if you live in a diverse community... Your church should be a diverse group of people because that's what, the, that's what the mission of God is about. And so this church that literally can be all these cultures and people from different personalities and, man, you've got, you got band geeks and athletes and you've got nerds and you've got, I mean, you, you name all the people groups in the world, right? And they come together and they should have nothing together, I mean, nothing in common, but all of a sudden, bam, they're bound by the mission of Jesus Christ. Their objective is to see each other become more like Jesus. They begin to pray for each other constantly. You, that's a community right there. That's the antidote for loneliness. See, the world doesn't know that. The world thinks it's more friends. It's better relationships. 
It's learning how to resolve conflict. And I believe we need to learn how to resolve conflict from a biblical perspective. But the world thinks it's more friends, it's more relationships. It's, it, 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 you know, if I get new friends, a new wife, a new husband, a new address, a new job, that'll be it. That's the answer. Jesus says, no, the answer is gospel partnerships. Gospel partners are better than friends and followers. So let me ask you this. Are you in gospel partners yet? Now, all of you want a gospel partner. I believe that. Everybody in here would say, I want one. My question is, are you one? Are you one? You want one, are you one? Right? And so, so, so he, he, let, me, let, me, let me end this with just three steps of application. All right, three steps of application for you. All right, I'm going to, uh, this is, you know, very good Baptistic. Let me, three steps of application and they're not, you know, illiterate. They don't, you know, build on each other and all that kind of stuff. But you, you, you should have received uh, one of these when you came in. It's called the Next Steps, Growth, Next Steps Growth Pathway, okay? No matter where you are, you've got a next step. And it won't be your last step. There's four or five more after that, okay, always. So you've got a next step. Let me say this. For some of you, your next step is church membership, okay? When you open it up, here, here's what you see. We want you to become a part of this family. We want you to commit to something, right? We don't want you to just, man, I mean, you're here. And I mean, we want you to have a commitment with us that says, I'm in this thing, okay? I'm in this thing. I, I, I'm with you. Good times, bad times. I know as a church, you're going to have some extremely awesome times and celebrate victories and baptisms. And man, you're going to see God do some great things. And you know what? If we go through the life cycle here, I know that there's going to be some just like life, there's going to be some downtimes. There's going to be some dry times. There's going to be some this and that. That's life in a broken world. I'm with you. Right? We want you to belong to a family that's with you in your good times and your bad times and your, and your, you know, nourishing times and in your dry times. We want you to have a, we want you to belong to a family. So uh, we want you to commit to membership, which is, I believe, very biblical that you commit to a church members that you commit to a body. And so this tells you some things. We got Discover Life Point, tells you when it is. That, that's sort of our mission, who we are. Uh, you know, one of, one of the guys that, that I disciple, he's got on his arm, he's got a big tattoo right here. It says, Live Sent. And, and he, he, he works for a company and he's out in the community all the time. And he tells me, it's so great, all over Middle Tennessee, he says, all over Middle Tennessee, all, all, every week, he'll have somebody say, you go to Life Point? He'll say, yeah, you saw my tattoo. Yeah, he said, you say, yeah, how'd you know? Well, like live sent. And I'm like, bam, they got it, man. I love it. That's one of the greatest things. So here's what we want you to know. Uh, uh, he's got it right here. We want you to know who we are and what we're about. Because you know what? If that's not who you are and what you're about, we want to help you find a church where you can plug in. That's who you are and what you're about, right? And so, so we got to discover life point. We got a membership class coming up. Alpha. Alpha's a good course if you're new at this thing, right? Or if you feel like, man, I'm at the beginning stages. And Alpha's a, a, a course that you can plug into and get involved in. And I, you, got, you got baptism. Listen, uh, uh, we, we're doing baptism. There's an online class that you go, you know, obviously we have to talk to you. We do not, listen, I, I, one of the churches, yeah, we, we do not baptize just like, hey, come one, come all. Hey, if you want to be baptized, see me after church, we'll dunk you outside. We don't do that here, okay? We do not do that. We want you to know who Jesus Christ is. We want to talk with you about that. You've got to go through a class because we want you to know. We don't ever want you to think, I was baptized and I was saved, you know. We don't want that, all right? And so we're baptizing next week, right? And I hope you come and celebrate that with us. It's going to be a special day for me. I'm baptizing 
three of my children next week, right? And so that's going to be awesome. Uh, my, my last three, my last, my, my, my last three, hopefully my last three, but my last three that, uh, you know, and then now it's on to my grandkids, right? And so, so we're baptizing that, that next week. We're going to do communion today, so we're covering them. And so, uh, but membership, belong, okay? The second uh, uh, com- uh, commitment that, that you need to make is commit to a life group. We, we're sort of rebranded them. We call them small groups because it's just, that's what it was, small group. But we, we're rebranding them to life groups because we're life point, but that's what it is. It's not a meeting on a calendar once, twice, four times a month. It's a group of people doing life together. And that's what we, and, and if you're not committed to one, you need to be to a group of people. You're committed to, to, to worship, but you need to be committed to a group of people so that sanctification can become real in your life. And people can help mold and help become a part of that process and, uh, and everything. And so, small, and there's all kinds, man, you see in the mustard yellow color of that, there's all kinds of, of different small groups and, and, and that, that you can be involved in life groups. I'm sorry. See, I, I got to make that flip that switch in my mind. And so, uh, uh, that, and then, and then the third step is commit to service. Commit to service. You see, we got down in the red. I'm ready to live sent. Man, we got surge school for men. We got designed to serve. We got send, sending next steps. Commit to service. Here's what I want you to know. When you come a part of this place, you're committing to family. And in my family, no one gets a free ride in my family. You don't, you, you don't become a part of my family and get to sit back and do nothing while everybody else in my family does something. If you're a part of my family, you have responsibility. And I hope if we're a part of your family has responsibilities. You don't let your kids sit back and do nothing, I hope. Just, man, receive. You make their dinner and take it to them, and you go clean their room, and you go mow the lawn, and let them just sit in there in the air conditioning. And, man, if so, man, we need to get involved in some sanctification in your life. Okay? You don't get to be a part of my family and do nothing. That's not biblical. And you don't get to be a part of the church and do nothing. That's not biblical. Okay? That's not a biblical commitment to belong. You commit to this group of people. You know, you commit, and so are you serving? That's three ways that you can become a gospel partner that has gospel partners, that that scratches this, 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 this absolute lonely itch that's in your soul created from the fall. Friends won't do it. You've tried that. It's only gospel partners. Gospel partners are better than friends and followers. The very first step that some of you need to take now, I told you about three. Let me go back. The very first step some of you need to take, if what I've said today is true, I believe it is. I come from a biblical worldview, okay? I come from... I believe the Bible teaches what I've said is true. If that begins to resonate with you, then that's the Holy Spirit resonating that in your heart because I couldn't convince you of that. And the Holy Spirit's resonating that in your heart. Your first step is giving your life to Jesus Christ so that then you can have the foundation and center that you can bond together in gospel partnership. So your first step today is giving your life to Jesus Christ. Is he calling you? If he is, you can come and talk to us about it, okay? If he is, come back and talk to us about it. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to celebrate communion together. And when you leave here, it, you can go down the hallway, and there's all kind of booths set up, and those booths have some, some life groups that you can go check on, right? You can go check on them and say, man, give me some information about this. Now, some of you would say, Pat, you, Travis, 
Travis, he sung way too long today, and because of the time, I got a jet. All the other churches, church people's going to beat me to lunch, and I'll have to wait outside and all that kind of stuff. And so, you can also register online, okay? So, but you can go out down the hallway, and there's all kind of, all kind of uh, life groups there. Go check them out. Uh, you can also come back and see our staff if you want to take that first step of giving your life to Christ or any, or, or any other question you have. Come back and talk to us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. God, we know that the fall broke the world and you created the world in the perfect condition. Adam and Eve were, were naked and, and felt no shame. God, they, in other words, they were completely vulnerable. They each felt safe with one another. They met each other's emotional needs, their relational needs, their, all those things. God, the fall broke that, we know. And God, ever since the fall, we've been trying to fill those gaps with, with uh, God, with friendships at different levels of intimacy. But God, I love friends, and I thank you for people to hang out with and watch the game with and eat chicken wings with and, 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 and drink a drink. I thank you for all those kinds of things. But God, I pray that we in the crevice of our soul today would get that, Lord, the only, the only antidote to loneliness is a gospel partner. I pray that we would look for one, but more importantly, I pray that we would be one. And I pray that, Lord, those who are here today that don't know you, Holy Spirit, only you, only you can act upon somebody's heart. Only you can open their eyes to see and their minds to understand who you are. That is a gift from you. And I pray that today you would do so. I pray that today you would open someone's eyes and help them to come back and say, I'm I'm understanding and I'm taking a leap today and, and I wanna know Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our lives, in our hearts, in our church. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for your grace in Jesus' name.